Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation is the gospel which we just heard and you will hear it throughout the sermon. Some of you perhaps remember wristbands and bracelets and placards that had this on it. WWJD. Does everybody know what that means? What would Jesus do? Now, I, don't know, I was never too excited about these. I know some people wore them with good intentions, you know, to think about before they make a decision, before they do anything, to think about what Jesus might do. But that's pretty hard to determine, isn't it? In our society, completely different from his, how do you know what Jesus would do? It isn't that there's always just one thing that would be right to do and everything else is wrong. There can be multiple choices. Um, it's, you know, this is not that easy. There are a number of things we should be thinking about. We should be thinking about Jesus, that he is with us when we make our decisions, what we do in life. Um, think about what his word has to say about the things we are facing and, you know, study it and, you know, how does this guide us? Those are all important things. But when you think of the question itself, what would Jesus do? And we look at scriptures and see what he actually did. There's one thing that kind of comes to the front a lot as we read scripture. And it's in this text. And we read, he began to teach. He began to teach. How often do we see Jesus in the pages of the Gospels teaching? Quite frequently. Oh yes, we see him performing miraculous healings, calming storms, various miracles. We see him calling disciples, offering forgiveness, and of course we see him trudging to the cross to die for us and then rise again. But there's probably one default thing that in his three years of, of ministry visibly on this earth that he did was to teach. He began to teach. You see at the beginning of this text and at the end. He goes on to other villages, teaching. So it's clearly something important, and we want to look at that today in the light of what he did here in his hometown and simply consider and think about you know, how he began to teach. If we start close to the beginning of our text, we read again, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many of you heard him were amazed. We run into this frequently in the Gospels. And in fact, uh, when Luke records it, he says, as was his custom. This was something he did uh, frequently. He went to the, the synagogue on the Sabbath and as an itinerant rab rabbi, he was often asked to speak and he would teach there. Now, we should note, the synagogue itself was not a God-ordained institution. It's not part of God's law that he set up through Moses for his people, uh, Israel. In fact, as close as we can determine, it was several hundred years before their period synagogues came on the scene. Many theorized that they appeared during the time of the Babylonian captivity. When the, when the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem and their beloved temple, the center of their worship, and took them off this faraway country of Babylonia, and now they don't have the temple to gather in, and that's when the synagogue arose. 
Before that, Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem was the focus of their worship. Now, it is true that God did set up the Sabbath day to be a special day. He told them to make the Sabbath day, the seventh day, holy, to set it apart. That's what really holy means, to set it apart. They would work six days. On the seventh day, they were to stop working, not work, uh, and set it apart and make it a special day that way. And he said, one of the reasons for this, he says, of course, besides getting the rest that you need, is I want you to have an opportunity to reflect on how I have made you holy, set you apart from all the people of this world, made you my people. I want you to take time to think about that. And so once the temple was gone and they were in a faraway place, it seemed logical that on this Sabbath day when they would stop working and think about God's work, that they would, okay, let's gather together and do this together. Well, maybe we need a building for this. And they built synagogues. We're not sure that's exactly what happened. It looks like it did. But in any case, by the time of Jesus, some 500 years later, there were synagogues all over. Wherever there were Jewish people, there were synagogues. Uh, officially, it took 10 men. If there are 10 Jewish men in a community, they could build a synagogue. They were all over Palestine. There were several in Jerusalem, Capernaum, Nazareth here, uh, and all over. And beyond that, throughout the Roman Empire, wherever the Jews went, they built synagogues. Paul, when he went on his missionary journeys, that's where he would go uh, almost inevitably every time. So they were there. and. Here we see Jesus put his stamp of authority on the synagogue worship on Sabbath days. He made it his custom on every Sabbath to go to the synagogue and participate in the worship and often would participate in the teaching part of it. It wasn't just singing. It wasn't just hearing God's word, but there was teaching going on in these synagogues and, and Jesus would participate in it. Now, what did Jesus teach when he went to the synagogue? Well, we've got some examples of what he taught. One particular one is uh, Luke records a time when Jesus went to Nazareth, the same city, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he began to teach. It may be this very incident, or it may be a different time. But nevertheless, it's a similar situation. And he took the... Uh, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet, and read the part where the Messiah, speaking in the first person, says, I was uh, uh, anointed to proclaim good news, to proclaim freedom from oppression, from sin to the people. And then Jesus says, this is being fulfilled right now. I am that Messiah. And we know he taught frequently, he taught about repentance and forgiveness. Uh, that was a, the core of his message when he would teach, offering, you know, calling people to repentance and then offering forgiveness and inviting people to believe. Um, and we know it affected people. Even here, where many didn't believe, they were still in awe of Jesus' teaching because it had, it struck the heart. It went to the heart, whether they wanted to believe it or not. It affected them. So as we think about this, if weekly worship in the synagogue was important for Jesus, it's certainly important for us, isn't it? Uh, 
Now, the law that God gave to his people, Israel, to stop work on the seventh day. Every Saturday they were to stop work. No work was to be done. Um, that was part of his law for them, but that no longer applies to us. Still, the purpose of that law is still in effect. We still have our third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Because that purpose is still important. First of all, of course, we need rest. Our bodies need rest. Studies have shown that, that people are more productive when they're given a chance to rest. But also our souls need rest. They, our souls need rejuvenation uh, every once in a while. And God says, weekly is a good time. We all are plagued with a sinful nature. That sinful nature wants to drag us, either one way, it wants to drag us down into despair, guilt, and you'll never, you're never good enough. Or on the other hand, sometimes it wants to pull us up and say, you're not that bad. You're doing pretty good. You're a good person. You don't need all this other stuff. Uh, and of course, the world is right there. The vast majority of unbelieving people in this world want to do that same thing. Pull us away from our faith, pull us down or you know, elevate us or whatever. So it's good once a week, to hear. Maybe, sometimes, often, depends on the person, we need to hear, our, have our sins pointed out to us. You are a sinner. In God's eyes, you have not met his standards. Some people come and they don't need that. They're already pulled down. Some people, some of us do. But we all need to be remembered, yes, but Jesus came and he suffered and he died for you. He took away your sins. He wiped them out. You're, you're, you can be free of that guilt. You're forgiven. You're, chi- you're God's child. And that then lifts us back up. Gets us ready to, to face another week of work or, or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> and yeah, we all need that. Part of God's plan. Um, and so it was. We can you know, put some stock in this. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. So there's a other aspects of this teaching I want to look at. And when he went to Jerusalem, his disciples followed him, and he began to teach. Mark takes special note of this, that as he went to Nazareth, going to his hometown, his disciples followed him. This is important for us to know. Jesus wanted his disciples to be there, to see him, to hear him teach. Now, they had watched him do other things, heal uh, many people miraculously, calm storms, even raise the dead. We just witnessed that uh, fairly recently here at this point. It was important for them to witness these events. John tells us after the very first miracle, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So it was an important part of it. And Jesus, you know, we, we know he had compassion on people. That's one of the reasons he performed miracles. But another important thing was that he was substantiating his teaching message so that people would believe in him. And so he wanted his disciples to be here to witness this. He wanted them to see him and watch him teach in many different situations. That they would watch him teach the Pharisees as he harshly and sternly tried to call them to repentance, pointing out their sins so they could give them forgiveness. He wanted them to witness when he would confront uh, deject sinners, even uh, prostitutes who are already uh, despairing and give them forgiveness and uplift them. 
And he wanted them to be here as he went to his hometown and faced his own people uh, and see how he taught there. It's part of the training process. It was a process that took approximately three years. He was training them to go out, and then they would do the teaching that he was doing. Now, it seems, obviously, we can think about you know how this went on. Jesus taught his disciples and taught others until we reach today. And now our church has set up a rather extensive and, yes, kind of expensive system of training our pastors. After high school, sometimes high school is even part of it, there's eight years of training. Eight years. Four years of that at the seminary. Three years, it just happens to be three years of actual classroom theological training, kind of comparable to what uh, Jesus did with his disciples here. And now, we're very soon going to have the opportunity to to listen to and to be taught by one of the men that's been trained in this system. Yes, he's young. He's very young, isn't he? <laughs> it seems like, you know, from perspective of some of us, it seems like younger all the time, but uh, <clears throat> little experience. But he has spent the last several years at the feet of some of the most experienced, uh, educated and respected men in our circles, learning from them, absorbing from them, watching them, being trained for this work of teaching. Uh, and he's now ready for it. Now, he's not ready to fix the water pump. <laughs> he, he wasn't trained for that. You have to get somebody else to do that or some of the other things around here. But he has been trained to teach. And so, I ask, avail yourself of the opportunity to, to learn from this trained young man while he teaches. And it means worship services like this, next Sunday, he's going to be right here. Well, maybe he'll be over here. I don't know. <laughs> but he'll be here teaching you. But beyond that, Bible studies, where you can have an opportunity to interact. You can't do that in a sermon. Individually. Go to him with your problems and questions, and uh, <clears throat> he's he is trained for that. He's ready for that. He's eager to do that. And uh, <clears throat> so that's an important part of this. And Jesus began to teach. He was training others, and we see that. Then we see another aspect of it. Uh, we've kind of brushed over it, but he says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, and he began to teach. It's according to this inspired account, this is why he went to Nazareth, his hometown, to teach. Now, certainly, we can imagine that he talked to his friends that he had made when he was younger, his family, which was, who was still there. Apparently, his sisters were still living there in Nazareth. Um, but that is not recorded for us in inspired writing. What's recorded is that he taught. He went to his hometown to teach. And it's not an easy situation. He left as a carpenter, and he comes back as a rabbi? Wow. They remembered him as a kid in the streets, and later as his, their fix-it man. And now he's a respected guru in society? Come on, I don't know if I'm ready to accept this or not. That was only part of the problem. His teaching would involve telling them about spiritual things, talking about their spiritual life. 
confronting them with sins, perhaps. That's not easy to do. And, uh, <clears throat> but that's what he did. And of course, we know the reaction or the, the general reaction. You know, we, we read again from this text. Uh, they ask, where did this man learn these things? What is the wisdom that has been given to this man? How is it that miracles such as these are performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't they, his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They couldn't accept the fact that this was the Messiah. This was a, an accomplished guru or rabbi in his own right. There had to be somebody pulling the string. Somebody gave him this stuff. That power, that's somebody else working behind the scenes. It can't be him. And they, then they took offense at him, and they wouldn't listen to him. And Jesus knew this would happen. He quotes a proverb to them. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and his own house. Still, he went to his hometown where he began to teach. They needed to hear that call to repentance. They needed to be offered forgiveness. Um, they needed to have a chance. And there were some who did believe. In many places Jesus went, there were throngs of people who trusted that he could help them, and they brought their sick to him, and and, he, and Jesus healed them. Here they did not believe him, so they did not bring him their sick. Most of them didn't avail themselves of his miracles, but some did. So there were a few that came, and Jesus put his hands on them and healed them. So these are the ones that believed, a few. And that's why he came and began to teach there for these people. Now, it's no easier today to talk to someone close to you about spiritual matters, especially if you have to confront them with some sin or something that's been done wrong. It's not easy. And there's a good chance you could lose a friend. But we want to teach. We want to show these things. These are important. We don't want people to be lost for eternity in their sins. So we will be a strengthened like Jesus was to go to our you know, people and confront them with these things. Talk to them. And when the thing is flipped, if you were on the receiving end, when somebody close to you comes to you and says, I've noticed you've been falling into this sin or whatever it is. Listen with patience. It's not easy for them to do it and they're doing it out of love. So maybe that's important. So, yeah, Jesus going to his hometown to teach, that's important for us to know. Finally, then, we take note of Jesus' feelings as he's appraising what happened there, as he contemplates the results. We begin with, he began to teach and end with, he was amazed at their unbelief. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> now, here we're confronted with the difficulty of understanding Jesus, who is God and man and one person, who while he was on this earth, had divine powers and occasionally used them, but usually did not use his divine powers. He, he knew what the people were going to do. He knew they were going to, uh, most of them would reject him. Um, and still we read, he was amazed at their unbelief. He was here acting as an ordinary human being, not using his divine powers, and simply being amazed uh, that they didn't listen 
But there's something else behind this we want to take note of. He was not looking for unbelief. He didn't want people to reject him. He was looking for faith. He wanted people to listen to his teaching, and he was the perfect teacher, put their faith in him and receive the forgiveness he wanted to offer them. That's really what he wanted to do. People to put it in their hearts, to, to trust him, to believe. And so it was when they rejected this effort of his, they wanted to believe, and as we said, Jesus was the perfect teacher, that he is amazed at their unbelief. That's just the feeling you're going to get when that happens that way. We did mention, you know, there probably were a few that did believe. And the word has its effect. Some believe and are saved. Others are confirmed in their unbelief and are lost. That's just the way things work. And so he went to his home village and taught. And then what did he do afterwards? He went around the villages teaching. Despite this rejection, he continued to go on and teach. This is what he came to do. This is what is important for people. So we go back to our original question. What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He began to teach. And we can be thankful that he came into this world and began to teach for us. We can be thankful that he reinforced the God's uh, tradition for people that weekly they gather and listen to teaching from God's Word and that he enforced this. We can be thankful that he saw, uh, showed himself teaching with his disciples, training the next generation to teach. We can be thankful that he went to his hometown, to his own people, to other people, to us, to teach them, even though he might be rejected. Uh, we are thankful. Yes, we are thankful that he began to teach us to repent of our sins, to cause and to accept forgiveness and uh, for our sins, peace and and life. Thankful that he gives gives us hope of having eternal life. Yes, we are thankful Jesus came and taught us. To him be the glory. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.